Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Okay, so today we are continuing on in our series on the book of Ephesians, and we're going to, was thinking, I was hoping to get through Ephesians chapter 2 today, but I got stuck this week as I was, as I was reading Ephesians 2, and I really just couldn't get past verse 8 and 10. And I know we looked at verse 8 and 10 a little bit last week, but I think there's more for us there. I think there's something deeper that we can see there, something that is so practical for us to dive into. And what I love about the book of Ephesians is it really is, it is Paul's best effort to say, look what God has done. That The spiritual reality of of rising from the dead, of being seated with Christ in heavenly places, all these amazing things that we have looked at for the first several weeks of this book, but it's his best effort to say, man, all of that, all the truth of what God has done for us by his spirit and by his grace, all of that has to somehow connect now to your real life to the realities of life in a broken world, to the reality of life in a world just gone crazy from time to time. How does what God has done for us in salvation, how does that connect to who we are and who we're called to be? So Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, it says this. You might remember from last week. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's the gospel right there. Grace, the grace of God. It's a free gift. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You can't save yourself, you can't raise your own own soul from death to life, it's, it's a gift from God. He goes on, for we are God's work, his workmanship, says some translation, that also can be translated creation. We are God's work, his workmanship, his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You might remember last week I I titled the message, The Call and the Walk. And that whole reality of, man, God is calling us, he's inviting us, Man, this was from last service. I gave you all the cheat sheet right here. Let me clear this off real quick. But there's a a call that God has invited us. He said, I want all of you to come back to life. I want all of you to step into relationship with me, and I want you to walk and follow me. I want you to walk out your faith in such a way that changes the world, that changes you and everything around you. But the beautiful thing about all of this is this. It says, we are God's work. God does work. We read about it in the first chapters of the Bible. For six days, God worked, created the world, created us, created everything in it. And then he rested on the seventh day. And here Paul, he's pointing back to the very beginning when God made all of creation. And he goes, look, we... We are God's creation, his work, his new creation. There's a, something new that God has made. How did he do it? Well, the same way he created the world the first time. John 1 says this, In the beginning was the word, and the, wo- the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. 
So the world and everything that was made was made through the word of God, through Jesus Christ. And here we get to Ephesians 2, and Paul goes, guess what? We are God's creation, his work. How did he make us? Same way he made the world in the beginning. We're created in Christ. The theme that shows up over and over and over again in Ephesians. In Jesus, in Christ by faith. If you're not connected to Christ by faith, you have nothing. You have no relationship with God. Everything we have that is available to us from God, all of it only comes through Jesus. For us being in Christ. So we are created in Christ Jesus. Why? Why, Paul? What's the purpose? For good works. Going to put some arrows in there just to make it super clear. For good works, that's the reason. There are a new creation in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The question is this What are good works? How we answer that question is a big, huge, massive point in our lives. How we choose to answer that question can change a lot of stuff because if Paul's just talking about, okay, good works are like being a good neighbor, helping my neighbor when they're in need, serving at church and kids ministry, signing up for community service projects that love the 50 week, reading my Bible every day, praying, maybe sharing the gospel with somebody, going on a mission trip, going to church on Sunday mornings. You know, if, if the good works that Paul is talking about here, if they're just sort of the spiritual category of stuff that we do with our lives, there's a huge gap, right, between that stuff and the rest of life. Like, just think about this for a second, okay? Just say, you work a job. You're a nine-to-five, normal job, whatever it is, 40 hours a week, for your whole working life, on average, the working person will work 80,000 hours during their career. Now, that doesn't include parenting, which adds about 100 million hours of work to all of that. But that's work too, right? 80,000 hours of work. Now, imagine if you believe in your life or in your heart, man, God made me for good works, spiritual things. But this whole 80,000 hours over here, he's not concerned with that. My career, my job, how I raise my kids, the rest of my life, all the things that I do with my life, my walk, Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday before I get to Sunday, that's just separate from the good works that I'm called to do. Friends, no. When God created you in Christ Jesus, what he wants for your life, what he wants for your resurrected life, for your soul going from death to life is to be an overflow into every square inch of your life. Everything you do, your finances, your parenting, your relationships, your job, your friendships, your education, all of it is a platform for worship. It's a platform to honor God. That's all of life. And so today, friends, we're going to talk about this whole idea of work, God's work and our work, right? God's work and our work because work, your career, and I'm not just talking about your job. I'm talking about all that you do in your life, 
whether it's volunteering or doing things at church or serving at Love the 50 Week or showing up on Monday and clocking your hours, all of it matters to God. All of it is a platform for worship. So how does God's work connect to our work? I think there's four ways that we're going to see from this verse and some other areas. Number one is this. Our work starts, it begins with God's work. The good works that God wants to produce in our life, the good work that he wants to do in our life, it begins with what God has already done for us. That's the first point. Number two, God created work. Some of y'all are like, no way. He did not. I don't believe you, Pastor. Uh, but we do know from Genesis 3 that work is now cursed. You're like, amen, I do know that, Pastor. But God created work, and work is good. It's not a part of the fall. It came before the fall. He made Adam and Eve, and he said, I want you to work and tend my creation. I want you to work the Garden of Eden. When they turned away from God, part of the curse was that now the fruit of your labor, the fruit of the ground, will only bring forth fruit. The fruit of your work will only happen through toil and pain, through weeds and thorns and thistles. Work is broken. However, it doesn't mean that we cannot use our work for worship. It doesn't mean that we can't redeem the work that God has given us to do. So these are the four things that we're going to look at today. Number one, our work begins with God's work. Friends, going back to Ephesians, it says this, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of your works so that no one may boast. He goes on, he says, we are God's workmanship, God's work, God's creation. He worked first. He formed us from the dust of the ground. He breathed life into our lungs. He raised Jesus from the dead. And therefore, for those who have faith in Christ, he's now made us a new creation in Christ. That was God's work. He did that first. His work then produces what? We were created in Christ Jesus for our work what he's given us to do. Friends, God's work kind of falls under this category, this word that Paul uses, and it's the word grace. He made it possible by grace for you to be saved, raised to new life. He made it possible by grace for you to have redemption and salvation. He made it possible by grace for all your sins to be covered. He made it possible by grace, that's God's work, for you to be adopted into his family. Grace is the beginning of our work. Grace is what God does. He makes us, he creates us a new creation through his grace. And then he says, all right, now your turn. Go get to work. The good works that I've prepared beforehand. But friends, gra man, grace is hard for us to understand. Because grace is invisible. It's, it's not a tangent. It's not like this table I can just point to it and be like, look, you see it? That's grace. We can see it in people's lives when grace begins to work and begins to transform us from the inside out. But it's not something that is necessarily quantifiable or measurable. It's a reality that covers every aspect of who you are. It covers every aspect of your heart, your mind, your actions. You are covered and permeated by the grace of God if you put your faith in Jesus. And so this is hard for us. 
The idea of grace is hard because we live in a world of tangibles, of stuff, of measurables. Ever since elementary school, we, we were graded and we got grades. We've got work to do, things to learn, people to meet, traffic to negotiate, meals to prepare, kids to raise, sports to watch. We are focused on budgets and sales numbers and attendance numbers and reports. We build houses. We paint houses. We build businesses. We analyze profit margins. We invest real money. So we live in a world of tangibles, but how do we start? How do we live from this place of grace instead of this place of striving? of anxiety, of working, 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 trying to get ahead all in our own strength? How do we rest in what God has done in such a way that it changes everything else that we do in our life? Here's an, here's an illustration. I like to think of it like this. I remember when I was teaching my son how to swim. Parents, you probably remember this. He's three or four, I think. I can't remember the exact age. And I'll never forget, it was the first time him getting in the pool with me with no swimmies on. It's a big moment, right? And we were at my in-law's uh, house down in Florida, and they had this pool at their neighborhood pool, and it had kind of big steps that kept getting deeper into the water. So each little step was like a platform. And I remember he, he you know, stepped down into the first step, and the water was about ankle deep, and his other leg was still sort of on the edge, and he goes in his own little three-, four-year-old way. He just said, essentially, Dad, this water won't hold me up. I like to think my son had a really deep, manly voice. <laughs> Dad, this, this water won't hold me up. It won't hold me. You hold me. You hold me, Dad. This won't hold me. He put his other foot in. See, it won't hold me. I go right through it. He steps down to the next one. It's up to his knees. He goes, it won't hold me. You hold me. I keep going through it. And I have no swimmies on. Water won't hold me. And I was like, yes, it will, buddy. Trust me. You're going to learn how to swim. And so I kind of, you know, he clings on to me, and then I pry him off, and I put him on the side where he's in the water, but he's holding on for dear life to the edge of the pool. And then he won't let go of the side. So I get real close. I'm like, all right, just let go and come to me. But then you do that horrible dad trick where the moment they let go, you step back. And he goes into full panic, and he's flailing his arms and his legs, and he's trying to keep his head above, and he just sinks like a rock. And I pick him up. Don't judge me. You know you all did it with your kids. And, uh, you know, he's like, Dad, see, water won't hold me. Won't hold me. I'm like, it will, buddy. It will hold you when you learn how to swim. In fact, let me just teach you how to float. If you actually stop moving your arms and legs and just relax and trust the water, it'll actually hold you up. Anyone that knows how to swim knows this. Think about this. The water will hold you. We think, man, Jesus did this incredible miracle by walking on water, but the truth is the water will hold you up too if you stop thrashing against it and just lean back on it and trust it. And You know, I've been in the Dead Sea, and that really holds you. can't even go under that water. It's so buoyant. But the swimming pool will hold you up. And, friends, that's how grace works. It's passive. You receive it. You lean back, and you say, Lord, you're going to carry me. You're going to hold me up. I trust you. Even though I know, like, this water doesn't look like it should hold me. When I step on it, my leg goes right through it. But somehow, when I learn how to swim and float, it literally supports my entire body. So the entire reality of grace is this. 
It changes how you live life, not from a place of anxious control, using your wits and your muscle to advance in the world, flailing your arms to try to keep your head above water, exhausted, working, working, working. Grace says, I've got you, holding you up through good moments, through bad, through hard situations, through good situations. When you make bad decisions or when you make good decisions, I'm holding you. I'm with you. And I'm going to hold you up while you clock in and put in that 40-hour work week. And I'm going to hold you up while you raise your kids, while you navigate conflict, while you work hard and make hard decisions, and while you navigate school changes and job changes and finances and relationships and marriage and all that kind of stuff, the real stuff of life, I'm going to hold you through it all. You just got to trust and lean and relax and realize, man, I still have to work I still got to put in the time that God has called me to do to be faithful with what he's given me and my talents. But all along the way, it doesn't ultimately depend on me. It's ultimately in his hands. So our work, all work that we do in life, it begins with God's work. God made us for work, number two. He designed you to create, to add value, to use your skills, to use your gifts, to add value to society. There's something in you, in all of us, that finds a healthy sense of meaning and purpose when we put our hands to work, when we work hard at something, even if we fail. Some of the hardest seasons in our life are not the seasons of work, although those are very hard. Some of the hardest seasons we will ever face are seasons of unemployment. When we want to work and we have no job, we have nothing in front of us to do. Work is not bad. God works. God made us. He worked, and we are his workmanship through grace. We are designed to work hard, to give our whole hearts and our minds and our lives towards something, towards something meaningful. There's two things that go wrong, though. We think about this idea of good works. You were made for good works, and it's not just the spiritual stuff. It's all of your life. There's two mistakes that we often make when we think about work, two different perspectives of work, and they're wrong perspectives. Number one is work as identity. Our work becomes our significance. Our work becomes our worth. How much we make, what sort of benefits, uh, how much recognition I get. It all sort of gets wrapped up into who I am. And therefore, as long as work is going well and I'm getting promoted and recognized and all the good stuff, man, I'm doing great in life. But the moment it doesn't go so well and I don't get recognized, I don't get promoted, I lose my job, my identity crashes. It crashes. And the fear of turning our work into our worth or our significance is simply this. Look, we are dealing with work that is still under the curse. <laughs> Amen, somebody. Work is not perfected like it was in the Garden of Eden. It's now infected with sin and brokenness, right? Work is exhausting, Work is traumatic. There's friction. There's unspoken animosity. There's conflict. 
There's good bosses and bad bosses. There's cutthroat competition that forces us to work crazy hours to get the sale. We make mistakes. We offend people. We, didn't, we don't perform or our performance isn't seen or recognized or celebrated, so we get offended. There's a reality of work that is just broken. Nothing is easy. Our ideas fail. It's three steps forward, two steps back. And no matter what you do, there is some reality that, man, work doesn't always go the way you hoped it would. Doesn't always go the way you dreamed it would. And that's part of the reality of this life, so it can't become your identity. It's a great thing as a platform for worship unto God, but it cannot become your ultimate worth or significance. Number two, some of us look at work as sort of this necessary evil. evil. This goes back to what I said in the beginning. This whole 80,000-hour thing of your life, well, that's just what I do over here. It's how I provide for my family and make money and you know, make sure we have a roof over our head and food on the table. But, you know, that's just what I do over there. You know, my church stuff, that's the good works that I was made for. That mission trip that I'm going to go on this year. Serving in the second grade boys classroom over on the kids building on Sunday morning, that's the good works right there. <laughs> that's laying down your life right there, friends. It's my prayer. It's my worship. It's all the spiritual things I do. And, friends, that's a fallacy as well. Work can't become your identity, and work can't be relegated. There's not this sacred, secular divide in your life. All of it's holy. All of your life is a platform for worship. It's all sacred. It's all sacred. And so we look at this in Romans 12. Listen to what Paul says. He goes, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies. Now don't get tripped up by this English word, your body is just your physical body. This is, the word for this in Greek is soma, which means your whole life. So give your whole life to God because of all he's done for you. He gave his whole life to you in Jesus Christ on the cross. Let them, let your bodies, let your entire life be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. All of your life is worship. Every aspect, your relationships, your career, your finances, your church world, your health, mental, physical, and spiritual, your family, your recreation, all of it is worship. Then Colossians 2, 23, he says this. This is amazing. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Friends, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you better bring your whole self to whatever job you have. Do it with excellence. Do it with zeal and passion. Go above and beyond the second mile because, friends, that's what you're called to do. It doesn't matter if you like your boss or you like your company or you like your job. Show up with your whole self and do it better than anyone else as though you were working for the Lord. You're not working for Safeway or Starbucks. You're working for Jesus. You just happen to be at Safeway or Starbucks or Bank of America or wherever it is. Friends, here's the reality, and we can't miss this. This entire earth is God's office. And everything you work with is God's office supplies. And so you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Now, you want to honor people and love people and respect people. But you're working ultimately for God since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. 
He's looking at how you steward your work. He's looking at how we steward the jobs that he's given us and, and all of this, the good works of our life. Again, he's looking at how we steward our relationships, our families, our children, our jobs, our finances. And he's saying, look, this is, this is part of your worship to me. This is part of you saying to me, I'm going to love you with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you work for the Lord as rather than working for people, you receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus you are serving. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter where you work, what company you work for. You're working. Christians, first and foremost, understand they're working for Christ as an act of worship. Whether you're a lawyer, an Uber driver, a barista, a janitor, a doctor, a politician, a teacher, an artist, a salesman, stay-at-home parent, a realtor, an investor, a financial advisor, a CEO, manager at Target, a pilot, a coach, a professor, a librarian, a marine biologist, a student, a research assistant, an administrator, whether you're the team mom, the team dad, or the third base coach, or an athlete on the field, whether you're an actress in Hollywood, a performer on Broadway, whether you're an architect, an engineer, an interior designer, clothing designer, whether you're a soldier, a fighter pilot, a member of the Peace Corps, whether you're a chiropractor or a spinal surgeon, it's all a platform for worship. I tried to hit them all. I'm, I'm sure I missed a few. This was just sort of stream of consciousness. But friends, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as though you're working for God because he's the one you're ultimately accountable to. Work at your craft. Learn ways to get better. Do it with excellence. Be on time. Stay a little bit late. Work with diligence. Be kind towards your coworkers. Bring some joy to the workplace. Find ways to use your craft to help others. Be an amazing employee. Be an amazing boss. Be an amazing business owner. That's the way that people go, whoa. We all know this job is terrible. We're all working in the same place, but so-and-so shows up and works this job like they're making a million dollars a year, and we're all making minimum wage, and we're making milkshakes, but I don't know what's up with Jerry. He's making us all look bad. It's like Rudy, right? They all wanted Rudy off the team. They're like, Rudy, get out of here, man. You're trying too hard. That's how we should work, no matter what we do, because we're doing it for the Lord. It's an act of worship unto God, all of life is spiritual. Everything is an opportunity for worship. All of it. Thought about this. A dear friend of mine, he's on, um, he's on the worship team here. He actually works at a bank. But on the side, he makes guitars. Like from scratch. He made this guitar. Like for real, okay? This one's in process. He was like, yeah, this is, uh, this is the remains of a tree from my backyard. Well, I was like, oh my gosh. And then he said, check this out. The neck of the guitar is not even like screwed into or physically attached to this with glue or anything. He goes, it fits so perfect. I know I'm so scared right now. It, it holds up the base. And this thing's heavy. It's a solid piece of wood. It just fits perfectly in there. This one's still in process, doesn't have the neck yet. That one's fully finished. But I thought about this as such a beautiful picture of work, right? You start in God's office with God's supplies, a redwood tree or whatever the heck tree this is. 
And you take a block of wood. You had to cut the tree down. You take a block of wood, but we don't have any of these guitars without God's supplies and God's office. But God says, take what I've given you, the raw skill, the raw passions, the things of your life. Take your personality. Take your drive and your dreams and your actual skills and then make something beautiful out of it. And and whether it's you making the best you know, caramel frappuccinos with the perfect amount of whipped cream on top or you're designing clothing for celebrities or whatever it is in between, be excellent. Do it with excellence. Take what God has given you and craft it, shape it, mold it, work on it. Work on your work as an act of worship. And, and eventually, your life becomes this thing Your life becomes this reality that makes music unto God. And friends, the worship song that you're writing with your life has very little to do with the songs you sing in church on Sunday morning. The worship song that you're writing with your life has to do with how you show up at work on Monday. The conversations that you have with the people around you, the way you love your spouse and your children, the way you handle your finances, your integrity, your character, the secret things of your life, that's when, you're, that's when your life begins to make worship as a living sacrifice to God, the way you serve and love others. I want to invite my friend Austin out right now. You already hear a little music? He's going to play this bad boy that... Ken Clevenger designed, and that's exactly right. What I love about this is that, man, work is worship. The good works that we're called to do are literally called to make a sound from our life, a sound of music, a sound of impact, a sound of influence and excellence and service and love for others. And yes, man, we, we enter our lives and we're a work in process. There's a lot of areas that need to be chiseled out and shaped. There's a lot of rough edges on our wood that needs to get literally sanded off or chiseled away. And slowly this this block of raw material, it becomes, it begins to take shape. It becomes something that sort of symbol, symbolic or looks like a guitar, it's not put together finally, it's not all in place yet, but it begins to look like a guitar and then eventually, by the grace of God, our lives begin to sound like something amazing. And as you lean into this, as, as your work, as your relationships, as your finances, as they become an act of worship to God, Man, it begins to make a sound that causes people to like say, what? I mean, it sounds even better than that. It might sound a little bit like, don't stop believing. I mean, I don't know. It could sound like Jesse's girl. Woo! Austin, it might sound like Sweet Home Alabama. I don't know. I mean, it can sound like pretty much anything from Tom Petty. Dude, come on. He's good. All right, we're taking requests. Any requests? Oh, Freebird. We heard it. That's enough. No more requests. I'm scared now. I don't know what's going to come out of this. Give it up for Austin. This guy is the man. Love you, bro. So good. (laughs) 
But the point is this, right? There's a, there's a sound coming from your life, and, you know, it may not sound like Tom Petty or Freebird or Jesse's girl, but it's going to be a sound of worship in the ears of God. It's going to make a difference in people's lives. They're going, to, they're going to stop and look and wonder what is going on because you're entering into the good works of your life, the stuff of your life, the walk of your life. And you're like, look, I'm being carried by the grace of God. I'm covered by the grace of God. I'm being held by Jesus in good days and bad days, in good times and hard times. Even when I make bad choices, he brings me back home to the Father's house. He protects me from things that I can't handle. I'm being held by God's work, the work of grace, the gift of grace. And then from that place, I move with joy and confidence into the rest of the good works of my life. Every area of my life that God has called me to be a representative of him. Nothing in the Christian life grows or comes to maturity without work, friends. Without God's work, God's shaping and crafting of your life, but also without you bringing your best, your whole heart into whatever he's given you, your relationships, your career, every aspect of life. And when it's done to honor God, when it's done as a platform of worship unto God, it begins to come into alignment and make a beautiful sound. It becomes a witness of God's glory in your life. Amen. So friends, we're going we're gonna to take communion now together and we're going to remember God's work for us. The grace of God that was given to us through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we'd love to pray with you. We've got people at our welcome tents, connect tents that would love to connect with you and pray with you and talk to you and pray with you about what it means to become a Christian, to put your faith in Christ. But I would ask today, if you're not a Christian, not to take communion. This is a moment of remembrance, a personal moment of remembrance for what Christ has done for those who have put their faith in him. It's available to the whole world, but it must be entered into by faith. If you'd like to take that step, please fill out the next step card in front of you, and we'd love to meet you to pray with you. But for the rest of us, this is a moment where we remember that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us so that we could have new life, so that we could step into the good works that he's prepared for us. Amen? Let's pray, and then we'll take communion together. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you, Lord, that you went to the cross for us. Thank you that... We are a new creation. We are your creation. And thank you, Lord, that you're not done with us yet. And Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would empower us for what you have called us to do in this life. We thank you for the cross. We remember the cross today, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.